good morning, Cornerstone Church. I just want to say welcome, and we're really glad that you're here. And um, my name is Clovis, Pastor Clovis. And if you haven't been here before, we're going through a series right now. It's called My Biggest Moments with God. And actually, two weeks ago, Pastor John kind of kicked that off by sharing about a biggest moment in his life when he had a, a very traumatic bike bicycle accident when he was a child and just the things that God did through that taught him through that last Sunday Pastor Dan continued the series and he shared about his some of his biggest moments with God and uh, first of all you know coming to faith in Christ in his 50s he came to Christ in his 50s and then uh, a year later uh, actually you know immediately he wasn't um, delivered from an addiction to alcohol. About a year later, uh, God delivered him from an addiction to alcohol, a 30-plus year addiction to alcohol. And I don't know about you, but uh, to me, just looking at the life of Dan today, it's hard to imagine that he ever, you know, had that previous life. And I think it's just a powerful testimony to the transforming power of God, that he can take someone who was in the situation that Dan described, you know, for 30-something years, and then take him to where he is today, um, a man who probably almost every week, it seems like, is leading somebody to Christ and is uh, being used by God to minister to other people. So it's just a a great, great uh, testimony to God. Next week, we're going to get to hear from Pastor Josh, and what a neat Sunday that's going to be as we uh, dedicate children that day, and we're going to dedicate probably going to dedicate his new adopted child and then we're going to get to hear his story but today it's my turn and so I thought I would begin by sharing a little bit of my story because I'm not sure how many of you really know much uh, about me and most of the time I'm behind the scenes helping prepare things for Sunday and so you don't get the chance to uh, hear much from me but I would just like to maybe give you a little bit of my history so it begins with the fact that I was born in Mississippi Uh, I was actually born in Biloxi, Mississippi, and grew up in a town called Ocean Springs, Mississippi, which is actually on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. My parents actually are from North Mississippi. My dad uh, was in the Korean War. Uh, When he came out of the Marines, he and my mom married, uh, moved to the Gulf Coast of uh, Mississippi, Ocean Springs, where I was born. Uh, that's where I was born, and then uh, a little bit after me was my sister, and so I actually have a picture here of uh, me and my sister uh, in our childhood days, and uh, just to prove that I actually did have hair at one point in my life, a uh, senior portrait, uh, actually did have a pretty full head of hair. I, you know, I just noticed that Dan didn't show any pictures of him having hair, so I don't know what that means. Maybe, you know, but actually uh, did have hair back in those days. So I grew up uh, in the deep south, about as deep as you can get. Uh, and not that I'm, you know, proud of that or anything, but I do have a plaque <clears throat> in my office that says this, American by birth, Southern by the grace of God. And that's not Southern California, by the way. That's Southern United States. Um, I grew up, again, in this very quaint town right on the Gulf Coast um, of Mississippi. Uh, My dad had a a Texaco service station. He and um, my uncle 
Uh, and this is actually First Baptist Church right here, and this is the church I grew up in. I actually was on staff with for a few years. Uh, and this is Barnett's, Texaco. And I grew up working there at that service station. So these two things, this, uh, this church and uh, the Texaco service station, are a real big part of my life. I uh, spent an awful lot of time in uh, both of those places. If you take the road that goes right alongside here, it'll take you down to the beach. I spent uh, some time down there as well. But um, I grew up, again, attending church. My mom made sure that my sister and I attended church faithfully every week. Uh, unfortunately, my dad didn't uh, join us during that time from till about age 12. Um, he worked, he and my uncle worked seven days a week, 11-hour days. Um, and so he didn't attend church in those um, early years. But it was a, just a really beautiful place to grow up, a uh, quaint town, um, just really kind of ideal in a lot of ways. Um, and, and things just seemed like kind of perfect, you know, growing up there until about age 10. And then when I reached age 10, my parents started having just very severe marital problems. I mean, very, very severe marital problems. They were just constant fighting, fighting, fighting. Every you know, day you come home from school, you didn't know what kind of day or night that was going to be and whether or not there was going to be another battle or not. And um, there were times as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, you know, I found myself having to try to intercede and, and try to bring peace, uh, you know, to the, to the family in those circumstances. It was just a very, very traumatic time. Um, I found myself hiding out in my room a lot during those days, and the only person who could uh, really console me was my dog. Uh, we had a collie named Lady, and uh, there'd be many a time when she would just lick the tears off of my face as I would just cry during all of that. Um, and yet, during that time, it was a time in which I really learned to, to, to cry out to God to turn to him, to pray to him, to ask him to, to intercede in that situation. And it was a time when I realized uh, that I live in a sinful world. Uh, I was definitely experiencing the consequences of my parents' sin, uh, but I also realized that I was a sinner, and I knew I needed a Savior. And so it was during that time frame, like close to age 12, when I just cried out to God and, and asked him, Lord, please, you know, save me from my sin. Um, I want you to be my savior. And it was a very real thing, a very real decision. Um, after that, I was 12 years old, but I started sharing my faith with my friends, really starting to study the scriptures. I didn't have anybody to help me. I didn't really have anybody to mentor or guide or anything, but I just kept trying to just grow on my own in a sense, um, spiritually uh, during that time. And it was really, honestly, right after that, that, uh, that, the, that things, the fighting ceased with my parents. It just like stopped. And I remember asking my mom, I said, you know, what happened? How did, you know, how did that happen? And she told me that there was one night when she heard my dad praying, crying out to God, asking him, asking God to forgive him for all the pain that he had caused our family. And not that it was one-sided. It was, you know, any marriage has got two sides. But he was crying out to God, asking for forgiveness. 
and, and just asking God to help restore their marriage. And it was like just her hearing him pray that uh, caused her heart to turn towards him. And they never had those kind of fights ever again. Uh, I mean, they still, you know, normal marriage struggles and stuff, but never that fighting like uh, we experienced for two years. And actually this, this, this past week, they celebrated 59 years of marriage. You know, so it was just a real testimony, testimony to God. And so that, that, that's obviously a, was a huge God moment um, in my life. But I have to say, I, I grew some spiritually during that time for the, like the junior high years. And then I hit the high school years. And it's kind of like the Israelites, you know. God does a significant thing in, their li- in, the, in the life of Israel. And then a few years later, it's like they forget. They forget what he did. And I reached the high school years, and it's like I just forgot what God had done. And I just started really kind of living for this world. I mean, I was, uh, all I cared about really was just going out and have a good time. And I, I did that, you know, all through my high school years. I still came to church on Sunday. I was in the youth group on Sunday. But all throughout the week, I was out partying, having a good time. And did that all through high school, did it through college. Uh, when I was in college, I, I never attended church in the town where I attended college. I, I never, I would, when I would come home, I'd go to church. I never attended church um, all those years. And all that I really cared about was getting that degree, getting a job, and I was, you know, I was wanting to get rich, and you know, I was, that was my plan. Uh, my goal was to have a Jaguar by age 26. That was, you know, what I was shooting for. But I finished college. I ended up taking a, a position with a company in Atlanta, uh, living kind of the fast lane, happy hour, you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, and, but I was just totally miserable, <laughs> just totally miserable. And I knew there had to be more to life than what I was experiencing. And I knew what it was, really but I wasn't ready or willing to, to turn my life over to Christ. I just kept wanting to live it my way. And I became convinced that uh, what I needed to do was to get another job. You know, it's the job. The problem is the job. Uh, so I quit that job, ended up actually coming back home. Um, and it was really during that time frame when God got a hold of me. And there were through some circumstances that happened where I just kind of could see where my life was headed. And it was and so I, it was headed toward destruction. And so I just, um, you know, came to a point where I was kind of like the prodigal son. I came to my senses. And I just remember crying out to God and saying, Lord, if you'll take me back, if you'll take me back, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I don't, wanna, I don't want any more of where I've been. I want to walk with you. And it was a very serious recommitment of my life to Christ. And after that, uh, God did open up a door for a, a, a job in banking uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. And the good thing about that was that God surrounded me with some people who were genuinely walking with God, who took me under their wing, who poured their life into me and tried to really help me begin to grow spiritually. Uh, got involved in serving in different ways, served on staff, uh, volunteer staff with Youth for Christ. My roommate and I took on a foster son who lived with us for two years. 
became very involved in the uh, singles ministry of First Baptist Church Jackson, Mississippi, huge church. I mean, we had over a thousand singles in the singles ministry, and I was the lay leader. I became the lay leader for that uh, ministry, and I just continued to grow spiritually and just had a deeper hunger for God, for His Word, for being used by Him, and eventually He ended up leading me to leave that, and I ended up going to seminary, uh, Dallas Seminary in Dallas. It was there that, in, while I was in seminary that I met my wife, Anita, and uh, we got married, um, had our daughter, Sarah. Uh, we ended up, we've moved different places around the country, serving on churches, staff, different places. Um, a daughter who's walking with God, who uh, served in the Congo last summer, who actually is going to be doing an internship in a children's ministry uh, in the church where Anita and I got married. Um, so she's going to be doing that this summer. Um, so God has just been so great. He is just, you know, uh, the path has been wonderful. Uh, I'm just so thankful that uh, I've been on it. All of that really kind of points me to and leads me to the passage that I'd like for us to take a look at this morning. And that's the passage that we alluded to earlier, and that's in Philippians. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. We're actually going to look at it in two different versions. Uh, The New International Version, 1984 edition, um, and uh, the message, because I think the message says it really, really well. But first, uh, let's look at this passage in uh, the, the New International. It says this, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now let's look at it in the message. I'm not saying that I have this all together that I have it made, but I am well on out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal, where God is, beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. And I'm not turning back. I think this is a great passage. And I think in this passage, Paul tells us what the goal of his life was. And I think the goal it should be of our lives, the Christian life. And then he tells us the means to accomplish that goal. And the goal, he says in this passage, and he alludes to it even more in the verses prior to it, is to know Christ, to know him, and then to be like him. To be like him. And then he gives us the process that we should realize that in order to accomplish this goal, that it's a lifelong process of forgetting the past 
and pressing forward toward that goal. And so he says, first off, the goal here is to know Christ and to be like Him. And we find it, I think, even more clear in the verses just prior to this, in verses 10 and 11, where he says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. He wants to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. That's what he wants to, that's his goal, to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and to be like Him. He talks about being like Him in His death, but he goes on through the rest of his writings really explaining what does it mean to be like Christ. And he's, he says that's his goal. He wants to be like Christ. First off, though, it starts with knowing Him. Knowing Him. Having a personal relationship with Him. Last week, Dan talked about, you know, it's one thing to know about someone. It's another thing to really know them. To know them personally. To have a relationship with them. I mean, we all know about President Obama. But how many of us have a personal relationship with us, with him? And how many of those who have a personal relationship really know him intimately? Jesus wants us to know him, really know him. And the way that we get to know him is by putting our faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior, and then to begin that process of becoming, getting to know him more and more and more throughout the rest of our life. So that's, that's the, the first goal that Paul had. And the second is to be like him. And I think when he talks about being like him, I think he, he wants to be like him in terms of his heart. He wants to have the same heart that Jesus had. He wants to be like him in terms of his character. He wants the character of Christ to be revealed through him and evidenced in him. He wants to mature and, and become like Christ in his character. And he also wants to be like him in his values. You see that, again, throughout the rest of the writings of Paul, that that's his goal. Galatians 2, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what Paul wants his life to be evidenced by. What does that evidence? It's the, it's the, it's the character of Christ. That's who, that's who Christ was. That's what he wants. He wants that to be evidenced in his life. And so that was his focus. That was his, his goal. And he realizes that this is a process, that this is a lifelong process, and that you're not gonna, he's never going to achieve this goal, these goals, until he's actually with Christ. When he's finally with him, he will actually fully know him. He will fully be like him. But his goal is to continue that process all the way through life. Now, you have to realize this is the Apostle Paul who's talking and saying he realizes he's not there yet. He's still got a long way to go. And he's, you know, 30 years into his ministry. He's had a, a personal experience with the risen Christ. He's helped plant churches all over Asia Minor. Uh, he's the one apostle who really gets it that the gospel goes to the Gentiles and not just to the Jews. And he's, he's you know, he knows Christ, but he realizes he hasn't arrived yet. He still has a long way to go. And it reminds me 
of a song that we used to sing with my daughter Sarah called He's Still Working on Me. It goes like this. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Just took him a week to make the moon and the stars. He's still working on me. Paul understood that. He understood that this was a process, and he still longed. He longed to, be, to know him more. He longed uh, to be like him. But he also realized that there are things that can get us off track, keep us from doing this, keep us you know, from focusing on that goal. And a lot of the time, it's things that are in our past. It's our past that can hang us up and keep us from staying focused on those goals Now, this whole issue of the past and forgetting the past, because he says we need to forget the past and press on toward this goal. But this whole idea of forgetting the past sometimes I think can be misunderstood. And a gentleman by the name of Warren Wiersbe, I think, about this and and, and says it best. And I'm just going to read a little bit of his thoughts on this. He says this, Please keep in mind that in Bible terminology... To forget does not mean to fail to remember. Apart from senility, hypnosis, or a brain malfunction, no mature person can forget what has happened in the past. We may wish that we could erase certain bad memories, but we cannot. To forget in the Bible means to no longer be influenced by or affected by. When God promises in Hebrews 10:17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more, he is not suggesting that he will conveniently have a bad memory. That's impossible with God. What God is saying is I will no longer hold their sins against them. Their sins can no longer affect their standing with me or influence my attitude toward them. So forgetting these things which are behind does not suggest an impossible feat of mental and psychological gymnastics by which we try to erase the sins and mistakes of the past. It simply means that we break the power of the past by focusing and living for the future. We cannot change the past but we can change the meaning of the past. There were things in Paul's past that could have been weights to hold him back, but they became inspirations in order to speed him ahead. The events did not change, but his understanding of the events did. And I think similarly, that's the way we have to live our lives. We can't stay focused on the past. Uh, we, can't, we can learn from it. We need to learn from it. We need to grow from it. We can't stay focused on the past. And that's the bad things of the past and the good things of the past. Paul had done an awful lot of good things at this point in his life as well. And he's saying, I'm putting those things behind me as well. And I stay focused on what lies ahead. So both the bad 
and the good. And, you know, I think that applies not just to us individually. It applies to us as a church. You know, we can celebrate the past. We celebrate the past six years of what God has done through Cornerstone Church. But we stay focused on the future, what lies ahead. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things still to be done in this city. And so, in a similar way, we need to apply this principle to us as a church. So we don't, you know, we don't focus on the past. We stay focused on what lies ahead. And that was what Paul did. He presses on toward that goal. And he, you know, he's not going to allow the fact that he may have made a mistake somewhere in the past to keep him from being focused on that goal. And he starts to use an analogy to an athlete. When he uses these words about pressing on, these are words that, that describe an athlete who's in a race, who presses on toward the goal of winning that race. And I, when I think of that, I think of uh, the movie Chariots of Fire. Um, that's one of my favorite movies. And uh, in there, there's a scene where uh, he, uh, actually, Eric Little, who's the runner, falls down um, and then gets back up. And so uh, let's take a look at that scene. Get up. see the drive and the focus of Eric Little, you know, who fell down, but he didn't allow that to keep him from getting back up and staying focused on reaching the end of that race. Uh, I, you know, a true story, you know, Eric Little actually uh, was a true person who lived, actually became a missionary in China, died on the mission field there. And that uh, movie is about his life to a large extent. So, That's what we have to do. We have to forget the past, press on toward the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, One point I failed to mention earlier. Paul says this this is the one thing that he's going to do, and that is to forget the past and press on toward the upper call of God. That is the one thing. It reminds me of another movie, and it's the movie City Slickers. If you're familiar with that movie... Uh, Curly is a, uh, is a cowboy and he's taking these city slickers on a cow ride, a cow, you know, a, a cattle run. And along the way, 
uh, he is uh, with one of the city slickers, Billy Crystal, and uh, they get into this deep heart-to-heart conversation. And Billy Crystal turns to him and says, so, Curly, what, what is the secret to life? And uh, Curly holds up his finger. And uh, Billy says, your finger? No, no. He says, one thing, one thing. Figuring out what the one thing is that will bring meaning and purpose to your life, that's, that's the secret to life. Well, Paul's saying he's figured out what the one thing is. The one thing is to know Christ and to become more like Him. That is the one thing that brings meaning and purpose to life. And so Paul says, I'm going to forget the past and I'm going to press on toward that goal. Now, this whole race analogy that we saw with Eric Little starts to break down a little bit when it comes to comparing that to the Christian life. The reason is because we're not in this race to win it ourselves by ourselves. We're not in this race alone. We're not in a race against each other. We're all in this thing together. All of us can win this race. We can all win this race. And we all have a responsibility to try to help each other win the race. And there's another race, another story about a race that kind of depicts this. It's a Olymp- special Olympics race. And uh, I'd like you to watch this video. It kind of tells that story. Special Olympic runner falls down. The other runners stop, go back, pick him up. They all finish the race hand in hand, arm in arm, all victorious. I think that's the picture of what the Christian life is supposed to be. We're not in this alone. We're not to be running the race alone. We need each other. That's why it's so important to be a part of a small group where you can build those relationships. You can be there for one another. We all need each other to help spur us on in this race to win that prize of knowing Christ and becoming like Him. Sometimes we need a physical hand to help pick us up and help us along the way. Sometimes it's an emotional hand that we need or a spiritual hand that we need. Whatever it is, we need each other to come along side each other, and help each other when we fall down. Just a little over a week ago, I was riding up Willow Creek Drive about to turn on Rosser. And just as I was about to get ready to turn, I saw a woman coming down the sidewalk on a bicycle. And she was an older woman, and she was coming pretty fast. And I was watching. I was really concerned. She crossed over Rosser, and when she went to hit the sidewalk on the other side, she, she crashed. 
She fell, flew over the bike, landed on the sidewalk, hit her head on a fence post right there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And so I pulled off of Willow Creek, didn't want to stop on Willow Creek, pulled off, looked back, she still hasn't moved. I'm thinking, we're, this, is, this is trouble. Get out of my truck. By the time I get there, a couple other people were already there helping to pick her up and pick the bike up. Somebody else was calling 911. She was bleeding down her face. And uh, the guy that was calling 911, she says, no, 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 don't, don't call 911. I can't pay. I can't pay. And uh, then she says, well, what, what time is it? I uh, looked at my, uh, actually looked at my phone. I said, it's about 20 to 11. And uh, she said, well, I, ha I have to go. I have to go. I have to be home by 11. I have to be home by 11. So she started to get on her bike and start to ride off, but she's, she's bleeding. And uh, I said, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, no. Uh, let, let me help you. I'll take you home. I'll take you home. I have a truck. I can put your bike in the back of my truck. I can take you home. So, okay, okay. So I took the bike, put it in the back of my truck, and I, start, I, took her, I started to take her home. Along the way, she starts telling me her story. Born in 1931 in Germany. Lived through the war. Almost starved through the war in Germany. Uh, later, met uh, a GI who she married in 1961. Came to the United States in 1963. Moved to Prescott in 1969. Shortly after moving to Prescott in 1969, her husband abandons her. In fact, they, they bought a house, and before the first payment of the house came due, he left her. She's here in the country, can't hardly speak English, and she's been abandoned. She finds a job at the Pioneer Home. She works at the Pioneer Home from 69 to 96. Um, so she's telling me all of this. We get to her house. I'm like, uh, do you have any ice? You're going to definitely need to put some ice on your face. You're gonna, it's going to swell up. She says, I don't plug in my ice box. She doesn't want to use the electricity. She doesn't plug it in. I said, okay, I'll go get some ice. You just wait here. So I go to Albertsons, get some ice, some bags, plastic bags, come back. And uh, I realized then why she needed to be home by 11 o'clock. Meals on Wheels delivers her meal at 11 o'clock. That's why she needed to get home. She needed to be home by 11 o'clock. The meal was there. And so I put some ice on her face and everything, started working on her ice, on her face, and um, just talking to her some more, prayed with her. Um, and she seemed to be okay. Everything was fine. She just kept saying, I was sent from God, sent from God. And so um, I left her, and I came back the next day to make sure she was okay. I find out more. Uh, she rides her bike. She, she works out at the Y every day. She swims three times a week over here at the college. She's 83. She rides her bike all over town. Um, and, uh, she, you know, she just says, I'm very frugal. <laughs> I'm very frugal. And because she almost starved to death in, uh, in the war. 
And so um, I invited her to come to church. I actually invited her to come, it was a week ago, so to be here last uh, Sunday. And uh, she said, okay, I'll, I'll come. And then later that afternoon, I, I left her my card. Later that afternoon, she called the church and she told me, she said, I don't know if I should come. I might cause a disturbance. Um, I'm a little different. I know I'm different. Um, people may think you're trying to change the church because she looks like a street person. And um, I, I might, it would be better if I didn't come. And I, I said, no, no, please, please, trust me. Trust me. If you come, you won't be treated. You won't be, you'll, you'll be accepted. I promise. Just trust me. Um, last Sunday, weather was bad. She didn't, she didn't come. I think it was more for fear, fear of rejection. She's been rejected. Went back to see her this week a couple of times. Um, and on Thursday, I uh, went to see her. I took somebody from my small group with me. And uh, it really um, kind of got to me because when I got out of the car, the first thing when she saw me, she said, it's my only friend. It's my only friend. And so, um, you know, I am just so thankful that God put me in a place where I could be her friend, where I could be that helping hand that helped lift her up when she needed somebody uh, to lift her up. I, when I invited her to come to church, she said, I need a family. I need a family. Uh, but I, she's just not quite ready to come, I guess. You know, she's not here uh, this morning. Her name's Hildegard. You can pray for Hildegard. You can just pray as we continue to reach out. But it just demonstrates the fact that there's, there are times in our lives when we need a helping hand. We need somebody to reach out and help us. We weren't intended to live the Christian life alone. We need each other. We need to learn from the past. We need to get up when we fall down. And we need to stay focused on the goal of knowing Christ and becoming like Him. But we run that race together. And it leads me to my final point. And that is, when we run this race, we don't run it in the power of our strength. We run it in the power of His. And Paul shares about that in verses 12 and 13 of, of chapter 2, where he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So on the one hand, he says, work out, live out your salvation. Press on toward this goal. But then he says, it's God who works in us to will and to act according to his purpose. So we press on, we keep our focus, we give it everything we got like Air Little, Air Little did in his race, but we do it not in the power of our strength. We do it in the power of of his. So I don't know where you are right now in your relationship with God. I, I don't know if you've ever really come to know him, really know him, 
Have you ever put your faith and trust in Him as your Lord and Savior? Do you know Him? If you haven't, I mean, today's the day. All you have to do is just tell Him, Lord, I put my faith and trust in You. I put my faith and trust in You, Jesus, who died for my sins and who rose again victorious over sin. I want to know You. I want to know the power of Your resurrection. Or maybe you've started down that race. Maybe you've made that decision. You've started down running this race of knowing Christ and being like Him. But somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, you've gotten derailed like me. Maybe you started, you started to live for this world instead of for the next. I challenge you this morning to do the one thing, that one thing that Paul says will bring meaning and purpose to your life. And that is to forget the past and press on toward that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Wherever you are in your walk, I challenge you to, to be a part of this. Be in the process. Focus on, what, on that goal of knowing Christ, becoming like Him, and realize that we are in this thing together. Find somebody you can help, somebody you can encourage in this race. If you're here this morning, you've never made the decision to trust Christ, if you need to recommit your life to Christ, I pray you'll do that even as, we, as I speak. Don't leave here without having made that decision. It is the secret to life. It is what brings meaning and purpose to life. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, uh, first of all, for saving me, for being there for me, when I was a kid and uh, felt all alone at times um, and just uh, was really hurting and just really needed you and you, you were there. Uh, you saved me from my sin. Uh, you rescued me from that situation. I thank you, God, that you've been faithful to me even when I haven't been faithful to you. And uh, even when I drifted away, you were there and you waited patiently. And so I just pray, God, um, that if there's anyone here this morning who has never made the decision to trust Christ, God, that they, even right now as I speak, they would choose to put their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. They would just tell you, I need you, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. If they're here, if someone's here, and they know they're not walking with you, they're not running the race that you've set before us, God, I pray that they would choose today tell you, Lord, I'm sorry. If you'll take me back, I want to be yours. I want to walk with you. I want to run that race. God, I pray they'll make that decision this morning to, to walk with you, to trust you, to follow you wherever you lead. That they would be, we would be willing to follow. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.